Welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, October 1st. Yes, the year of our Lord, 2020. New month. Same format, though. Got a lot to get to tonight. We are jam-packed. Before we go off the air, our five best bets, affectionately known around these parts as the Ramen Noodle Express, will be delivered to you in full. I know we do five normally, but I would... I would give me a follow on Twitter because I don't know that we're done at five at late kick Josh. Just a little word to the wise there. If you consider following me wise, of course, full week five thoughts tonight. We've got a number of games we're going to bounce around to. We've already done a couple of big prediction specials on the Tuesday night show. So if you've missed those Auburn and Georgia, which we're going to retouch on in a second, A&M Alabama, you can find those videos on the 24 seven sports YouTube channel. Nick Saban's got a crazy October coming up. Don't think people quite realize how crazy it's going to be. I'm going to discuss that in just a second. Also, I've been begging you and you've been delivering every time. So common sense tells me I should beg again. We're getting close to 30,000 subscriptions here on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And what were we at, Colin? Like six a couple of months ago? So yeah, doing pretty good here. Building momentum, as they say. While I don't believe in it as much as you do in sports, I do believe in it when it comes to YouTube metrics. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel and then click the bell for notifications. Do the same on the podcast side as well. We released a brand new Late Kick Extra podcast today and uh, had a lot of stuff, a lot of fun stuff to talk about this morning. So again, follow me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. We've had a lot going on there. A lot goes on when we're not on the air that I talk about there. An occasional bet or two. In fact, I put another one out today ahead of the show. If you've followed me on Twitter, you already got it. If you haven't, now you'll get it in just a second. So let's get it started here, and let's talk about a number of things tonight. I wanted to kick it off. I believe, Colin, we're talking about Auburn. What are we talking about to begin with, actually? I had my rundown all screwed up. All right, I see what we're talking about now. So we have got a number of what I would call high-profile games this weekend, but they are high-profile games with double-digit point spreads. And so you look at it just kind of like we did last week, to be honest, and I wanted to scan it and say, where could the upsets be? What would it take? Do we expect any of them? Do our in-house numbers identify a couple of games that we should keep our eye on? So let's just kind of scan the country here, and let's talk about a number of them. And the one that I wanted to start off with was A&M Bama, because we already did a breakdown on this one. This line sitting at Alabama minus 18. I, I wanted to clarify my thoughts a little bit. That's why I want to lead with this game. So when we did the game preview... I indicated that I didn't see very, I saw a very narrow path, if any path, let me put it that way, for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. Well, a lot of you took that to mean that, well, I think they're terrible. They're not terrible at all. This is a really good team. I was on radio in upstate South Carolina today, and I was uh, talking with Mark Ryan up there about how impressive Texas A&M looks. I saw them uh, in person, I think twice last year, the Clemson game and the Alabama game from field level. And I don't think Folks fully understand, if you haven't seen that team in person, how physically impressive they look. They look like Alabama. They look like Clemson. In fact, last year, if I were to put generic uniforms on those two teams, A&M's more physically impressive looking than Clemson is. And so that's a mystery to people because they don't play like it. Because the one limitation they've had has been quarterback. And Kellen Mond's the quarterback there, and he just is who he is. And so... When I tell you that I don't see a path, it's just because I think he's had his head pressed firmly against the ceiling of what he is capable of, and that offense has maxed out its potential in its current state. It's not getting any better. This is not a team, in all likelihood, that's going to spring some massive upset on Alabama or, or show the tide anything that they haven't already seen and they're not prepared for. They play Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss next week, for example. I'd be infinitely more terrified of Ole Miss than I would be of Texas A&M, even though A&M's got a far superior roster to Ole Miss. So now that the clarification's out of the way, I just wanted to say 
Um, there is one player that I didn't mention the other night that I'm kind of looking at in this game. He didn't play last week, and he was my pick to be one of these standout players in this conference this year, and that's Christian Barmore. He was not in action last week for Alabama. He figures to be this week, so let's just keep an eye on him because that's a guy that's an impact disruptor up front that they can't really duplicate. They need that guy to shine if they're going to maximize their defensive potential in this game and this year. We like Alabama to win. We lean slightly Alabama to cover. Let's go to Florida. South Carolina is an 18 to 17 point dog, depending on where you look. On the road in Gainesville, there was a big reaction, I think, here last week. If if this were the opener, I think Florida would be about a two-touchdown favorite. Florida rolled last week. South Carolina didn't. This thing's already up to 18, 17 and a half, like I said, depending on where you look. Here's the problem. If we're trying to map out the upset potential here, a couple of them. I, there's not just one, but a couple of problems. South Carolina offensively, anytime you're going to make it happen, you want to control the game. Obviously, they, they don't have a superior roster to Florida. They don't have a comparable roster to Florida, and that Florida offense has already shown what it can do. So what you want to do is, obviously, you'd love to keep the Gators offense off the field. How do you do that? Well, you control clock, and you move the chains on third down, and you do a lot of things on the ground that, quite frankly, I don't think South Carolina is capable of. And that is the problem, friends, because um, I think it's far more likely that you see a bunch of three and outs or shortened drives from Carolina than it is you see a bunch of 10-plus play drives which would be part of, obviously, the formula to try and pull an upset here. And the second part is do they have the edge rush capability or, I guess, capability on the interior to pressure Kyle Trask enough? A lot of these answers are at best, I don't know. At worst, they are no's. And so that's why when I looked at this number, it's a do-up, kind of do-or-die, to be honest with you, situation for South Carolina coming off last week. And it's also a do-down spot emotionally for Florida coming off the big win. And so I looked at the number before I dove into it and said, you know, I, I bet we lean South Carolina and the points. We don't. We, got it. we think the number's right. We got Florida, I think, minus 18 and a half. So we think the number's right, in other words. So we don't really have a lean on that one either way. We certainly do not see any big red alarm bells or lights, as the case may be, shining for that game. How about Missouri at Tennessee? This one has confounded us a little bit this week, to be honest. We jumped on Missouri as our best bet of the week. We maintain that stance, by the way. But we got them at 10.5 the other night. That thing's 12.5 now. So we had the line move against us. It's okay. Happened last week, too, and we turned out all right there. Tight game. We expect a very tight game here. To give you an idea of what we expect, we've got Tennessee winning by under a touchdown. So we're across several key numbers there. That's why we like Missouri. Missouri has very good safeties on this team. Now, here's why that matters aside from the obvious. Tennessee will need to sustain drives, obviously, here. And they did a very poor job of that last week. They were 1 of 12 on third down. The safety play at Missouri, in all likelihood, combined with the conservative play-calling nature of Tennessee is unlikely to yield a bunch of explosive plays through the air, 20-plus yard pass plays. Probably not seeing a ton of those. And so the counterpoint is, all right, Tennessee will still be able to move the ball. They got the superior offensive line, but they'll need to do it. Instead of in chunks, they'll need to do it more methodically. That's cool if you can do it. One of 12 on third down last week indicates maybe a problem there, potentially. And so not only that, 
we have the scheduling dynamic in place here too of coming off a pretty emotional last quarter, last minute sort of win last week, and you know you've got the trip to Georgia on deck, and in comes a very anonymous Missouri team. I'm not picking Tennessee to lose this game. I am picking them to win a single-digit sort of game because I think Jeremy Pruitt would be more than happy to win this thing by eight points. Missouri was not – also, I just want to point this out now. Uh, You would think Tennessee – you got a couple of power backs here. You got the power offensive line. You can lean on that ground game. Hey, I describe Alabama as that or better, and Alabama had some success on the ground last week. Not a ton of it. And I don't necessarily think it was an Alabama problem. I just don't think Missouri is that bad. I really think the team's underrated as a whole. So – I was I came out of that game last week impressed with Alabama, came away a little more impressed with Missouri than I thought I would too. Let's go to the Big 12. TCU is at Texas. Texas is an 11 and a half point favorite that's down from about 13 24 to 48 hours ago. TCU, this is a stat you've probably heard thrown around by this point this week. 5 of their last 6 against Texas. I don't care how much he sweats, Gary Patterson gets the job done. I Unlike a lot of you that I've seen out there tossing predictions around, do not expect a great big 48 to 41 type shootout here. I think it's a little bit lower scoring than that. This is a green TCU offensive line. Now, as is the case with Auburn, and we're going to talk about the Tigers a little bit later, a lot of times people sort of confuse inexperience with weakness. That's not always the case. Just like experience is not always a strength, just because you've got some unknowns doesn't mean it's a weakness. However, there's a lot of experience and a lot of depth on the interior of this Texas defensive line, and I don't know if you saw the final score last week, but it wasn't exactly the most sterling performance in the history of Texas defensive football. You've got to imagine there's a premium being placed there this week. think they can have some success against that TCU offensive line. you got the better quarterback situation, even if they roll with Duggan all game this week, the TCU uh, Horned Frogs there, even if they do, you got the edge at quarterback at Texas. I can't make much sense of the number, but then again, I looked at our numbers, and our numbers like Texas even bigger than the Vegas line does. I have no confidence in that. Sometimes I have confidence in our numbers. Sometimes I look at our numbers and I say, all right, well, you're drunk, clearly, so we're going to move on. There are other games out there for us, and that's exactly what I told our model about this game. I don't know what you're on, but Texas minus 19, I think we had, you have fun with that. If you feel like laying 19 points with this team, or nine for that matter, you have fun with that, I'm not going to follow you. So I expect, actually, I have no clue what to expect here. I'd lean Texas, but I have no clue what to expect. Arkansas, Mississippi State, kind of the last game I wanted to touch on here before we move to Auburn, Georgia. Mississippi State's a 17-point favorite this week. Did you know that? You probably do if you've looked at this stuff. Instinct versus eyes. Big battle internally for me going on this week. Instinct would have you look at Mississippi State last week and have them bomb away on LSU in a manner in which I think will be irregular to what they're able to do and what defenses allow them to do the rest of the year. And you would obviously know it's probably the biggest emotional moment that you've had at Mississippi State since like 2014 when they were number one in the country. So you have all that. And then you have an Arkansas team that held Georgia in check for a half last week, and it's just a big number, an inflated number. You expect it's sort of a back-to-earth moment for Mississippi State. Well, that's what instinct tells you, independent of who the teams are. But then you use your eyeballs, and you see that even though you don't have a bunch of, in all likelihood, first-round talent at wide receiver from Mississippi State, I think they pretty well convinced you they don't need it last week. 
And I'll tell you what I know you don't have at Arkansas, and that's a lot of first-round potential and elite speed in the secondary. And that, friends, could be a problem. I don't think they have the athletes defensively. And in fact, I'll go as far as to agree with some Arkansas fans I saw talking today over on the Arkansas 24-7 message board. I saw some of you say something that I think I agree with. It sounds crazy, but I think I agree with you when you said, I actually think Georgia was a better matchup for us than Mississippi State. I agree. Our numbers like Arkansas in this thing. We've got Mississippi State by about 11. So, so it thinks 17 points too much. I am not going to pull the trigger on this one as one of our five official plays. I lean Arkansas to cover. Not very confidently, though. I do think there is a reasonable chance that the under is a wise play here. Doesn't qualify as an official for us, but I think it's at 69 right now. Bud's on the over. Bud got it at like 63, 64. He's really good at jumping those totals. So, hey, Let's, let, let's get a nice 66, 67 middle there so we, uh, we both look smart. But those are the games that we're looking at this week, and uh, those aren't necessarily our spotlight games. But, boy, do we have one to talk about here. Man, how irresponsible. I got my papers all out of whack. <clears throat> so let's move it on. Auburn, Georgia is, um, you know, I would call it probably one of the Biggest early season games I can remember in the SEC in quite a while. This is one that is normally put well towards the end of the calendar. Now, it was already going to move up anyway on the calendar this year, but it really moved up. Auburn is currently anywhere from seven to a six and a half to a six point dog. That thing's kind of been moving this week on the road in Athens. I don't know that those three words on the road, I don't know that it carries as much weight this year. In fact, I think I know it doesn't. This is such a huge game, though. I don't think we can overstate the importance of this. As I pointed out the other night, and uh, the folks at Auburn understand this, I don't think the rest of the country really grasps how big this is for Auburn. Everyone thinks it's a big game for Georgia. It's huge for Auburn. If they win this game, and like I said, they're a short underdog. If they win this game, they will probably be favored in every game until the Iron Bowl. That is the last week of November. That's how far away that is. So, Georgia... I, the reason that we hmm, hiccup, the reason we lean Georgia and we picked them the other night to win a close game is as long as they can keep this thing even or plus in the turnover battle, I have a tough time seeing Auburn able to overcome a lot of the obstacles we're about to talk about. However, if that turnover battle gets sideways, anyone's game here. I already think it's going to be a dogfight, but if that turnover battle leans against Georgia, truly anyone's game. So there's a big back and forth right now amongst Georgia fans of who's going to start at quarterback, who should start at quarterback. Dewan Mathis got the start last week. It was an unmitigated disaster in the first half. They trailed 7-2-5 at the half against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball, couldn't do anything. And so this week, JT Daniels gets cleared. Is he going to be the guy? Stetson Bennett saved you last week. Is he going to be the guy? Does Dewan Mathis get another chance? I don't think anyone really knows for sure outside of maybe Kirby Smart, let me just give you my best educated guess on this. I don't claim to have any inside information on this this week. There is no inside information to really be had on this this week. If there is, I can tell you Rusty and Kip and Jake and the guys over at Dogs 24-7 will have it. But the way that I see it is, this is not the Citadel or Charleston Southern coming into town. You can talk all you want to about how Dewan Mathis is going to get another shot. Okay, now listen, I, I don't doubt that. But what I'm telling you is there's a big difference in eventually getting reps somewhere, having a specific package installed for you versus being the guy. There is no way 
that that Georgia coaching staff looks at Dewan Mathis after the in-game action he showed them last week and says, this is our guy for this pivotal SEC division game, or, a, well, conference game. I mean, it's, they all count against Auburn. No way. What Kirby Smart's looking for here is a guy who knows his offense, a guy who has the full trust of that roster and that coaching staff, enough mobility so you're not a statue back there. Pass protection, I think, still going to be an issue early on for this offensive line, and a good decision maker. And there's only one guy on this roster right now that I think fits all four of those categories, and his name is Stetson Bennett. This time last month, he was running with the fours. Listen, things have shaken out the way they are. You can't worry about that. That's the guy who I think gives them the best chance to win right now. That's the guy I think Kirby Smart will roll with Saturday, and I'm going to tell you why. Kirby Smart, don't care who he hired at coordinator, don't care what all the talk was in the offseason. Like I said, that's out the window. It's time to win now. See, a lot of people, I think, are slipping into the mentality of who gives us the best chance long-term. Kirby Smart's not thinking long-term, man. He's got Auburn Saturday. They got to win against Auburn Saturday. It's not who sets him up best two months from now. Who can win Saturday? Because if you can't win now, it doesn't really matter much two months from now. Stetson Bennett, I think, will be that guy, and I think he will get a vast majority of the snaps Saturday. I try not to live on the fringes here, okay? I try and be real. I've taken some criticism that, to be honest with you, has surprised me a little bit this week in my opinion about Stetson Bennett. I think the ceiling is very low on this offense with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. So a lot of you have taken that to indicate I'm impugning that kid's integrity or his character or whatnot. Man, he gets a 10 across the board in those categories for me. But let me tell you something. I think Collins a really good guy. I think he's an angel walking amongst us here on earth. I'm not starting him for Georgia Saturday. I, I think I'm pretty decent most of the time. I'm not starting for Georgia Saturday. Conversely, there are a lot of dudes out there who are trash off the field who I'd love to start for me at quarterback. It's about winning. Who gives you the best chance to win? I don't care about all the other stuff, okay? You can run PTA meetings if you're a great person. I need the best talent I need the best collection of those skills to win at quarterback. Now, while I still think that's Stetson Bennett for Georgia, I'm telling you, I think the ceiling's much lower on this team, and I've just been real with you. I don't live on the fringes, okay? The fringe, like the one time out of 100, is he could go out and throw four touchdowns Saturday. The other fringe is he could turn the ball over five times. Let's exclude those one out of 100s, and let's focus on what is most likely to happen. What's most likely to happen is... Hopefully he gives you a good enough performance and they're able to squeak out between 16 and 23 points offensively and that defense does what it does. That's the formula right now until further notice to win for Georgia. And any of you guys that are under the misguided notion that this dude who was running with the fours a month ago is about to march anybody up and down the field, and I have had people telling me this, by the way, based on the second half against Arkansas last week, I think you're kidding yourself. You got it right to an opinion as much as I do. I think you're kidding yourself on that. So... Let me be real clear. You can be a great person. You can be a program staple. You can be a hard worker and still be very limited. And I think ultimately that's what Georgia will be with Stetson Bennett there. Luckily, you got a guy with probably more elite physical tools in JT Daniels that is cleared now and hopefully will work himself into being the prime guy for that spot. Just don't know that he fits that description this week. The focus, though, to me, as much as we just talked about it, is not solely on quarterback for Georgia. It's that run game. And I think a lot of the Bulldog faithful up there know it's that run game. Offensive line, running backs here, the edge 
along both lines of scrimmage probably belong to the defenses. In fact, I would go uh, pretty certainly belong to the defenses. Told you the other day, our primary reason for picking Georgia was the inexperience, therefore the unknown, along that Auburn offensive front versus Georgia's defense. Now, consider what this means for the Auburn offense. Consider the opportunity here. We always remind you on this show, there's a big difference, as we just said in the TCU Texas preview, there's a big difference between inexperience and weakness. Just at this level, now if, if we're talking about Purdue, not to knock Purdue, but rarely is Purdue marching out first-year starters on the offensive line uh, that can play at a high level. At Auburn, at Georgia, at Alabama, it could happen there because they recruit and they develop at a high enough level. So we've got a lot of guys we don't know a whole lot about at Auburn. Doesn't automatically mean their weaknesses, though. So big opportunity for Auburn's offensive line Saturday because if they force a stalemate even, I mean, if it's just a draw in that battle against Auburn's offensive line versus that Georgia defensive front, if you told me that, I'd lean Auburn in a heartbeat. I don't believe that. I believe Georgia's defense has a pretty significant edge there. So we assume, or I assume at least, big plays are not winning this game. But if we can get a little bit more out of that Auburn offensive line than we expected, I can assure you Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris plan on being more aggressive on early downs and in the early portion of this game than they were last year when they were shut out for a vast majority of this game and then only when they kicked it into two-minute mode late got back in it. And that was a, boy, that was a weird final score because it was domination on Georgia's part for most of that game. And then you look and it's a one-possession game. And that kind of happened for Georgia a lot last year. So again, we lean Georgia. We lean Georgia close. So much to watch and such an exciting game in the early portion of the SEC season here. All right, we kind of already talked about Texas A&M and Alabama. And we kind of already gave you our preview. We gave you the preview the other day in long form, and you can find that on the channel still if you haven't already seen it. But I did want to do something for you, kind of uh, give you a little peek ahead here at what we'll be talking about a lot this month. Nick Saban's got a crazy October coming up, okay? Um, I think it's kind of a waste, actually, to use this title as just a random segment on a random show. Saban's October sounds like a Broadway play. I think it should be like a number one country song. Saban's October sounds great, but be that as it may, we're using it on Late Kick because no one's trademarked it before. Think about this. Very few of us will ever be as successful in any walk of life as Nick Saban has been coaching college football. Imagine this. Imagine you are so good, you have so become the standard in your line of work that you have created your own competition. That's what this man has done. He is responsible for the existence of his own competition. Not over the next one week will he face a former assistant of his. The entire month of October will consist of Nick Saban. Next four weeks will consist of him facing old assistant coaches. He's got Jimbo this week. He's got Lane Kiffin the week after that. He's got Kirby Smart the week after that. And then he's got Jeremy Pruitt the week after that. Has it ever happened? I don't know if it's ever happened. So Football Scoop kind of has a running update on this. Every time Nick Saban faces one of his former assistants, he's got 16 of them that he's now faced as a head coach. 16 have become head coaches. Let me put it like that. He's faced former assistants 19 times in total. 19-0, perfect record. We'll see if he extends it to 23-0 over the next month. The average score in those games has been 41 to 15. So I got to thinking, okay, 
no one ever thought Jim McElwain was going to beat Nick Saban. Um, but you may think Kirby Smart's going to beat him. You may think that uh, Lane Kiffin could uh, sneak around and pop him. So I dug into our numbers, and I wondered. Over the next month, I just mentioned the four games that he's going to play, A&M, Ole Miss, Georgia, Tennessee, next four weeks. What would our numbers indicate on these games? So I didn't send this to Colin because it would have taken forever to make all these graphics, and we'll end up making them anyway. This week, to remind you, Bama's a 17 to 18 point favorite. We have Bama minus 19 in our own personal numbers. Next week at Ole Miss, give you a little, I guess, sneak peek at what we think about that game. We have Alabama minus 22 and a half. The following week at home against Georgia, we got Bama minus 11. And the week after that at Tennessee, we have Alabama minus 20. Keep in mind, schedule and situational dynamics are taken into account in those numbers. So these four kind of feel different to me. I got to be honest with you. Uh, Jimbo has already been established. So what I mean by these feel different is I feel like these are four guys who would have been head coaches anyway. Obviously, it greatly helps that they were associated with Nick Saban, but I feel like they are standalone or have the potential to be standalone at this point. I know you'd probably push back on Jeremy Pruitt right now. I happen to have a very high opinion of the ceiling of Jeremy Pruitt's program there. So Jimbo's already well-established. Kirby's obviously built Georgia's roster up to where it's one of, if not the very best, in college football. Jeremy Pruitt is rapidly overturning the roster at Tennessee, probably a lot quicker than you guys realize, or a lot of you guys realize. Kiffin just terrifies everyone in general, one of the great offensive minds in the sport. Uh, for all the baggage, for lack of a much better and more applicable term he has off the field, everyone keeps hiring him. Why do they keep hiring him? I think it's pretty obvious. So this, op this October for Nick Saban, Saban's October, man, it's a great book title. Maybe we'll write it one day. It, uh, really, it'd really sell if we have some upsets coming up, but really interesting October coming up there for Nick Saban. Just keep your eye on that. All right, the Ramen Noodle Express is pulling into the station. We are 6-3-1 on the season right now. We are looking to have another good week, feel really good about these games. Now, what we do is we give you our early best bet for the week on Sunday night. We did it this week. It was Missouri plus 10.5. But then at any given point, on any given platform the rest of the week, whether it be Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, I've released two of them on Twitter this week, so be sure to follow me, at Late Kick Josh. It could be on the podcast. It could be on any one of our Late Kick Live shows. Eventually, we release the rest of the five by this very moment in the week. So, Colin, without further ado, let's remind folks what we've already given them, and let's show the final two. We had Missouri, as I said, plus 10.5. They're on the road versus Tennessee. Uh, North Carolina is actually on the road, so we flipped that backwards. North Carolina is at Boston College. This is UNC minus 13.5. Important to get these numbers when we give them out. Arkansas State minus 3 at Coastal Carolina. This one we added earlier today on Twitter. It is USF at Cincinnati. We waited for it to drop to 21. It did, and we're taking the Bearcats at 21. We have them winning by 27 and a half. And the final game that we're adding right now, Navy is on the road at Air Force. This is Air Force's first game of the year. We have had sort of a reverse trend as opposed to what we thought. We thought that teams who were playing teams who had already played would have a disadvantage. It's actually turned out the other way. Teams that haven't played have had a point spread advantage on teams that have played. And we're taking the Falcons, Air Force plus seven. So in summary, if you're listening on the podcast, Missouri plus the points, that is up near 12 and a half now if you're betting it. We got it at 10 and a half. UNC minus 13 and a half. Arkansas State minus three. Cincinnati minus 21. And Air Force 
plus seven. Again, follow me on Twitter. A lot of those get released there. And I want to add in, yes, these are our five official. There are two games out there. I just got to be real with you that I don't have the number that I want right now. If that moves, I am releasing those and we are counting them. And you can see it on Twitter. I'm not going to put it out there three minutes before kickoff. But if we get the number we want, when I get home tonight, uh, sometime tomorrow, I'm going to release that. And you'll know because I'll put Ramen Noodle Express in all caps on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. So follow me there. Thank you so much for watching us this week. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. We've had a great week of traffic here. Hope to have a great weekend of games. We'll be here with full reaction on Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, for director Colin, for producer Jordan on the podcast side of things. I'm Josh Pate. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. And God bless.